centuries before the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the first advent, the prophet Isaiah said this in chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Today, as we look at the coming of the Magi to visit the babe in Bethlehem, we see the fulfillment of Isaiah's precious prophecy here, where nations come to the light and kings visit him. And the Lord is going to bless us today through the understanding, a greater understanding of what that light really is, and the grace of God that arouses even those who are Gentiles, who were not part of the covenant community at the time, to be able to be recipients of that light. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in faith, we turn to you right now as we look at this wonderful, very familiar story. But it's just like everything else in Scripture, uh, we can never become too familiar with it. And I pray, God, that as we look at this passage, as we understand uh, the commitment of these magi and the apathy and the hatred of those who were opposed to the Christ, let us take to heart the truth of Holy Scripture, and examine our own ways and know you all the better as a result of this sermon. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please do turn to Matthew, and we're going to look at chapters 2, verses 1 through 12 this morning. Again, a very familiar passage, and my hope is that I will kind of be able to point out some things perhaps that you don't know. But even if you knew everything that I was about to say, isn't it a wonderful comfort? to be able to go back to these Advent passages every year and just see uh, the, the amazing miracle. I, I never get tired of the idea of God becoming a child and dwelling among us. So let's look here at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. God says, and Matthew writes, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. It might be helpful for you to look at the home group helps insert. I've got a 
a brief outline for you, kind of breaks down this passage. And uh, the first part of that outline is the Magi themselves. Let's identify the characters of our wonderful story here. Uh, We understand that they are Magi, and they are from the east, and they arrived in Jerusalem. Now, you know, one of the things, there's some popular myth that goes along with much of uh, what we celebrate at Christmas time, and that is that there were three of them. Notice that the text doesn't actually specify that there were three of them. Also, they were not necessarily kings. As a matter of fact, they were not kings. They were Magi. They were king makers. Uh, they were those who would, uh, w- who would state who the king might be. But a, a popular opinion, at least an early church medieval tradition, was that the names of these three kings were Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. And they say three because they have three different gifts, and then some people suspect maybe they represent the three races of men, the three sons of Noah, uh, but that's all conjecture. Uh, but they were the priestly political cast. Uh, uh, of the of the Persian Empire and the uh, the Parthian uh, Empire, they were probably Zoroastrians in terms of their belief system. Uh, but they had they came from an area where Daniel had been uh, in exile, right? And so they were familiar somewhat, perhaps they hadn't had an entire copy of the Old Testament scriptures, but they no doubt also had a copy of Daniel's writings. And we learn here uh, perhaps some of their understanding of what took place, certainly through, uh, we're going to see that God communicates to them through dreams. Uh, uh, They are also dream interpreters, but also through stars. They were stargazers. Uh, But he also probably communicate to them through his inerrant word. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel writes this, I kept looking in night visions, and behold, with the clouds in heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That passage tells a lot about the coming of the king who is going to reign and have dominion that comes out of Israel. So Daniel was actually part of the Magi back when he was there, and his friends were part of the Magi. Now, Magi have a good reputation and a bad reputation, just like pastors and lawyers and a lot of other people, right? Uh, These were good Magi. They were probably very wealthy. They were extremely learned. Uh, They were good Magi. But we see in Acts, Simon Magus, Magi, Magus, uh, was a charlatan. And uh, he sought to try to buy the Holy Spirit's power with, with money. Uh, so we understand that uh, it, it is a situation where their position could also be abu- abused. Now, notice there's also a t- uh, an issue here, the timing of the visit. If you've got a, a creche, a nativity scene uh, at, uh, in your house, if you're like us, you sort of accumulate those things over the years. Uh, and uh, one of the things, of course, you're going to have what's in the creche. Well, you've got Joseph and Mary and the baby, and you've got a little star, maybe an angel. you got some shepherds, and then you got some wise men. But really, the thing to do with your crash and go home and do this today if you want to be biblically appropriate, is you have your crash in your den, you need to go put your wise men in the garage, okay? or the kitchen, or the backyard, or somewhere, because this is weeks after his actual birth. The star appears to have shown 
at his birth, and it took would have taken weeks of them traversing through the desert for them to be there. He has already been born the king of the Jews. And, uh, and, and, and there's just this mystery surrounding who these people are, but the, the, the tensions at the time, during the time when Jesus was born, the tensions were ready for this kind of thing. Uh, there are some st- statements from some of the historians at the time that speak about one who would come out of Judea to rule, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Suetonius says this, there had spread all over the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at the time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Isn't that interesting? From Tacitus, the Roman, he says this, there was firm persuasion that his very time in the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. Josephus, the, ger- the uh, general of the, uh, of the Jewish revolt, said this, At the time of Christ's birth, the Jews believed that one of their own would become ruler over the earth. So there were, there were, there, there were expectations uh, of this, and here come these magi showing up at the time, speaking of one who has been born king of the Jews. And that's where we lead to the next point here, the magi's inquiry in Jerusalem here. Uh, and they go and speak here uh, to Herod. And we introduce this, uh, this wicked character that we're going to learn more about next week in terms of Herod the Great. To give you a little background on Herod the Great, it's interesting, the Roman uh, Senate declared him to be the king of the Jews, and yet he wasn't even Jewish. His father was a Dumian uh, from, from Petra, from Edom, the house of Esau. His mother was an Arab from the house of Ishmael. Uh, uh, he uh, died in 4 BC, so this was probably occurred about a year or so before uh, his actual death. And he was an able leader. He rebuilt the, tem- the, the temple. He built the, uh, uh, rebuilt Samaria. He built the port city of Caesarea and named it for uh, Caesar. Uh, and, uh, and he was, uh, also could read the population. During a time of difficult hardship, he actually returned tax dollars uh, to the people, much like your stimulus check, I guess, that came last year during COVID. Uh, probably better handled than that. I forget that illustration. Let's move on. Uh, uh, but one, one of the things that Barclay says, that he was the only ruler in Palestine who ever succeeded in keeping peace and in bringing order into disorder, and one way he did that is he was absolutely ruthless. He was a tyrant. He actually had three of his own sons killed and a wife killed. He had a brother-in-law that was a priest, and he arranged for the brother-in-law to be drowned to death at a birthday party uh, doing, uh, while the men were having horseplay there in the surf, and then he pretended to cry at the funeral. He wasn't really fooling anybody. Uh, matter of fact, he was so evil that he knew when he died, no one would weep, so he rounded up 300 leaders of Israel and had given orders to execute all of them so that that there would be crying at his death, and the order was not uh, carried out. But he was, uh, he was a capable leader in a sense. And notice this, though, this capable leader, this man that had the control over everything, he had actually fought the Parthians and defeated them to got them out of the ancient Near East. Uh, he was troubled. Literally, he was shaken. He was shaken. Tyrants live in fear. They live in insecurity. They're always looking 
uh, behind their back. So imagine this scene. Just put yourselves in these, these folks' sandals here, okay? So here you got it's business as usual in Jerusalem. All of a sudden, this caravan, this entourage, if there were three kings, they would have had a number of soldiers and guardians and servants and camels and horses maybe. They come entering in dressed you know, to, to the nines, and they start asking around, where's the king of the Jews? Where's the king of the Jews? Where's the king of the Jews? And Herod's like, no, that's me. No, 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 no. The one who's been born, the recent one that we just saw as star. You'd probably be shaken as well. He was concerned about his own, uh, uh, his own position because he was a usurper. He was not a Jew. So to hear that there's actually a king of the Jews has already been born, it's not that he's going to be born, he's already born, and we saw a star would have made him very concerned. So he gathered together the chief priests and the scribes. Well, this is interesting because he basically pulled, pulled the information of the liberals and the conservatives together here. And he's figuring, if I can get the liberals and the conservatives to agree on anything, it's going to have to be right. And they did. And what did they agree upon? They agreed upon the place that the Messiah would be born. And so he pulls together the chief priests and the scribes. They ask him, the scribes of the conservatives, the chief priests or the liberals, uh, and they ask him, where is he going to be born? Well, they say Bethlehem, Bethlehem. Of course, Bethlehem, that word means the house of bread. It's a granary, probably a grain silo there. It goes all the way back to, to Old Testament times when it was called Ephrathah. You might recall Ephrathah. That's where Rachel was buried. It's where Ruth married Boaz. You remember the book of Ruth? What a wonderful, wonderful drama that is. David grew up there, of course. And, of course, uh, Micah predicts that that's where uh, the Messiah will come from. And that he is not born to be king, but he was born king. He already is. There is currently living in Bethlehem the king of the Jews. But he's just been born. So we anticipate him being a baby. Can you imagine the drama, the excitement, the political intrigue, the questions that were going on uh, at this time? And yet, there's a tragedy here too, right? How come they haven't already been to Bethlehem? How come they hadn't ascended? How come God didn't reveal this to Herod and to the chief priests and to the scribes, but revealed it to these unbelieving Gentiles uh, that live far away uh, in the confines of the Parthian Empire? As one commentator says, Herod was more interested in saving his throne than he was in saving his soul. How like men that is. We see here the Magi's God. It speaks of a star right here. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. We see this in verse 2 and then verse 9. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before him until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Uh, uh, you know, this is, there's a lot of conjecture about the star, right? You've heard lots of different theories about it. It's interesting, uh, Balaam, another, uh, another uh, pagan, uh, gave a prophecy in Numbers that says this, I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting because it really confirms the, uh, our call to worship this morning from Genesis, right, where the scepter will not depart from Judah. This is, in a sense, a fulfillment of Balaam's uh, prophecy. But what is this star? Well, I mean, some people have said Saturn and Jupiter came together around 7 B.C. and formed sort of a fish shape. Other people think it was an exploding supernova. Uh, but you, but, but it, was, it would have been a big issue at this time when astronomy and astrology were basically mixed together. The coming of a new star would have meant the death of one king and the coming of another king in the mindset of the people. Well, my, my view is this. It's the Shekinah glory. It's the Shekinah glory. 
The same glory of God, the light of God that led the people in the wilderness during the wilderness wanderings is, is leading the Magi. The interesting thing is not everybody apparently can see this star, and they certainly didn't understand it, but it also moved. I don't think supernovas move. I'm not an expert on supernovas. Uh, uh, Jupiter and Saturn, I'm out, yeah, I, I know they move, but I mean they don't, fly, they don't follow and go shine over a house in Bethlehem like they do in the movies that we see, you know. They're following this star. It, it's leading them, and they, they, they know exactly where to go because of that. So I think it's probably the Shekinah glory that the lost people just can't see. God is using star to show the stargazers how to find eternal salvation through his son. Then we see the response of the Magi, and this is probably the most heartwarming part of the entire, uh, the entire uh, story here. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary. Notice the child's name always comes first. That would be very unusual, the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. I want to give you kind of five characteristics of proper worship here. Uh, this is a little hint here. This is, uh, this is in your home group help. So if you, want to, if you want to score big in home group, you know, take notes here on the five characteristics. But first of all, they recognized his authority. They called him the king of the Jews. There was no question this was not just an ordinary baby. This was a, a supernatural event had taken place here. He was the king of the Jews. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They rejoiced. This is so appropriate. They, they had a, a, a fourfold joy here. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Doesn't that convict us a little bit? Of all people on this planet, it, it, you should be the most joyful and yet, very often we're not. The burdens of this world so often choke out that joy, does it not? I think about um, what John Owen, the great Puritan, says this, Our great problem is not our lack of effort. Our great problem is our unacquaintance with our privileges. Wow, if we could just be focused upon our privileges, what does it mean? Do we actually know who this is? We know uh, who that baby is. He is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's given us eternal salvation. I've been greatly convicted uh, going back through Scripture and, and reading about Moses' rebuke of Korah and uh, where Korah's rebellion and where they wanted to rise up and usurp the authority that God had given. And, uh, and, and Moses says something to them, is it not enough that you are called into the ministry to minister before the Lord? Isn't that enough? Well, it is enough. It is enough. And every time I read something like that, I think I will never complain again as long as I live. So I'm on the way to church today, driving my little orange Prius, which can be seen from space. And, and some hippie chick almost runs me off the road. And I'm thinking, I'm driving a highway cone. How do you not see me? And I pull into the parking lot. I see two deacons. And, and what's the first thing that comes out of my mouth? Bless you, child. It's so good to see you. Yeah, like, that's the thing I'm supposed to say because I'm the pastor. And I was like, some hippie chick just ran me off the road. You know, you know when are we going to get it? When are we going to see our privileges through the trials and tribulations of life? You know how what the effort the Magi went to, walking for weeks, being, in a sense, rebuffed, confused in Jerusalem, finally coming, and they show up at a poor hovel, a peasant's home, 
and yet they were filled with joy. How much more have we been given than even the Magi were given? Samuel Rutherford, who died at age 30, was a great, uh, one of the Scottish divines said this, None have the right to joy but we, for joy is sown for us, and an ill summer or harvest will not spill the crop. What an important lesson it is that the joy that we have comes from the Lord and not our stuff or our health or our future. They worshipped him. They literally fell prostrate on the ground, uh, and basically they recognized his authority. You are high and we are low. This is what we do. That's the reason why we bow our head uh, when, we, when we pray very often. And they gave, made a sacrifice. They, they, they gave gifts. They gave very expensive gifts. Uh, in a sense, if you want to put it this way, they tithed, okay? And what they're saying is that basically we've come not just to receive, but just to, just to be with you, to worship you. Matter of fact, we're going to demonstrate this by giving of our resources uh, to you uh, to, to show that you are more important than our stuff. There, many people read there's some symbolism in the three different gifts. The gold is the medal of kings. Frankincense is an incense of deity. It points to the priesthood. It's never used in sin offerings. Jesus Christ was sinless. sinless. And then myrrh is, uh, is thought to be the, uh, recognize the humanity of Christ. It symbolizes suffering uh, and death and is used as a painkiller or preparing the body for death. As William Barclay says, gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for the one who was to die. These were the gifts of the wise men, and, and even at the cradle of Christ, they foretold that he was to be the true king, the perfect priest, and in the end, the supreme savior of men. And then they, then they had obedience here. They had obedience in the sense they came all the way from where they came from, came from Persia, and then they had obedience in that when the Lord told them, don't go back the same way, they obeyed uh, the Lord. So, you know, it's, it, it's hard to convince us that you have a dynamic relationship with the Lord when you don't obey him. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. So we are to walk in a continuous desire of obedience. And, and, and I love this, too, because, again, these were, not, these were not the scholars of Israel. These were not the scribes. They were not the priests. They didn't have a full understanding uh, uh, of even who Yahweh was, but, but what they did know they acted upon. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have a master's of divinity to worship the Lord appropriately. You just act upon what you do know. I like what J.C. Ryle says, The wise men saw a newborn babe on the lap of a poor woman and yet worshipped him and confessed that he was Christ. So as you look at this, you see, you know, three different types of responses. First of all, you see the response of the believer, right? The magi. Of all the people, they wouldn't have been the one you would have determined would have been the believer. Again, this is, it's a story of grace. The people in the high castles didn't get the privilege. It was the foreigners, the Gentiles, that got the privilege and fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that all the nations on the earth will be blessed and the promise made uh, from the mouth of Isaiah there. Then you have the believers. They worship, they bow down, they do the things that we had just mentioned. Then you have the non-believers. Here's the interesting thing. Bethlehem is like a two-hour walk from Jerusalem. A two-hour walk from Jerusalem. You've got these people who have come for weeks over the desert to be able to see this baby. And the, the people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the king in Jerusalem couldn't be bothered to go check it out themselves. It's at John 11. John 1 11 says this, He came to his own, but his own received him not. This, and this is important for those of you children that are here today that are growing up within a church. 
uh, regrettably, uh, and it, it just seems to be, I mean, I've not seen studies on this, but there seems to be a greater zeal often with those who are saved later on in life, even within our own church. You see a, you see a dynamic there. And I think part of it is they realize the sin they were actually saved from because they lived a lifestyle of sin before they came to know the Lord. Would that the children of this church would have that same zeal and, and that they wouldn't just take holy things for granted and that they wouldn't just yawn at another church service would be, but would be engaged and that the Lord would save their souls. There's an old proverb that says, the nearer the church, the further from God. Let that not be the case of the children of this church. One of our own is going to become a missionary uh, and because she didn't take her upbringing for granted. She understood the importance of worshiping the Lord. And then you have really kind of two different time, types of responses from these, these non-believers. You have the believers, the magi, the non-believers, and Herod, and then uh, the scribes and the Pharisees here. I'm mean, not the Pharisees, the high priest. First of all, you had hostility. You had hostility. People hate Jesus. They can't get to Jesus, so they hate you. And they will make laws to go against the things that you believe in. There is open hostility towards the good things of God. And then there's indifference. And that's most of what you see, right? They just don't care. They don't understand what the big deal is. That religion's fine for you, but why in the world would I bother myself with that? i got to play golf on Sunday, right? The problem is indifference will often turn to hostility if the climate is right. Notice this, that John again says in John chapter 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So the Magi didn't have all the information that they would like to have had. They didn't have all the information you had. They didn't have all the information that the scribes and the high priest and even Herod had, but they acted upon what they had, and they worshiped the king. And the Lord invited them all the way across the world to come and worship his son. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Father, I pray that you would help us to not take for granted these wonderful truths of Holy Scripture, God. And that we would be as those, uh, as those wonderful magi, that we will worship you, we would serve you, we would sacrifice, we would walk in obedience. We would bow down before you, and that we'd be zealous about the things of God. And I pray, God, that if you find us uh, acting more like the indifference of the high priests, that you would convict us of that. And that you would give us a holy zeal that cannot be explained in human terms. As we approach Christmas, let us approach the throne of grace with a holy worship like that of the Magi. In Christ's name.